This is Mover Scott from the Imagination Movers, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Hello there. I'm PF. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian actor John Lovitz once gave acting advice to his best friend's kid sister. She went on to be in a huge sitcom, and she asked him as a favor to be on the show in its first season, but... I go, but by the time the show came out, they were doing me a favor. We're more from John Lovitz in just a bit. Had a great conversation with him. Very nice for him to call in. The Kentucky gubernatorial race is heating up. They have primaries coming up, and one of the candidates wants you to know something specific about him. We also have the hottest record in the world, but first, as always, fake news. And now, fake news with me. The world's oldest complete copy of the Ten Commandments is going on rare display at Israel's leading museum in an exhibit tracing civilization's pivotal moments. The exhibit may be touring the U.S., though the ACLU has filed suit to keep the Ten Commandments out of American museums. That's for my conservative friends. History was made again at a Major League Baseball game this past Saturday in Los Angeles. Two fans' love was celebrated on the Dodger Stadium kiss cam, and it just so happened that the couple was gay, the Huffington Post reported. On his Fox News show, Bill O'Reilly claimed that it wouldn't be long before baseball fans brought a turtle to a baseball game. Russia is pulling out all the stops for celebrations this coming Saturday, marking the 70th anniversary of the Soviet victory over Nazi Germany, with 16,000 troops marching in Red Square, along with hundreds of units of military hardware. In a defiant show of military strength, despite international condemnation over its actions in Ukraine, Russia will roll out new Koyalistia SV howitzers, as well as cutting-edge Armata T-14 tanks for the first time, as well as a giant balloon of Bart Simpson dressed as a Cossack. Employees at a pizza hut in Florida were praised this past Wednesday for helping rescue a customer who wrote a message on her online pizza order that she was being held hostage and needed someone to call 911, authorities said. However, after many, many years, authorities have yet to respond to the persistent pleas of that poor bloke in the desk factory. The Senate rejected the scientific consensus that humans are causing climate change days after NASA and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration declared 2014 to be the hottest year ever recorded on Earth. The Senate voted 50 to 49 on the measure, which required 60 votes to pass. The Senate later passed a measure admitting that gravity existed, but just barely. Two super-fast conveyor belts of sinking crust explain why India set a continental speed record as it crashed into Eurasia, according to a new study. The Indian plate slammed into Eurasia 40 million years ago, raising the Himalayas and Mount Everest. The study's researchers explained Africa was a witness to the crash, but didn't want to get involved. NASA has a new drone that takes off like a helicopter, flies like a plane, and explodes like a bomb. Texas Governor Greg Abbott is coming under increasing criticism for ordering the Texas State Guard to monitor federal military exercises. The exercises drew concerns that the government could implement martial law or confiscate citizens' guns. Former Texas Governor Rick Perry, the Pentagon, and the White House have all suggested the concerns and Mr. Abbott's requests were unfounded. You know, fun fact, Texas can't leave the Union like it thinks it can. However, it does have the option of splitting into five states. No joke there, that is an actual fact. To the sisters of the Phi Sigma Sigma sorority, the group's secret handshake and knock are sacred. So sacred it seems that to reveal them is to risk a lawsuit. That's what happened to a former member of the sorority who listed that information as well as details of the group's secret name, robe colors, and oath, and more on a Seattle-based website. If found guilty, the former member could be sentenced to having eggs shoved up her butt. And that's been Fake News with me.
This episode of PF's Tape Recorder is brought to you by Home Shirts Cleveland. For all of your Northeast Ohio vintage t-shirt needs, visit homeshirts.com forward slash Cleveland. You'll also find links to the original Cincy Shirts site, as well as Home Shirts Indianapolis, with more cities to come. That's homeshirts.com forward slash Cleveland. Now, on with the show. Kentucky elects a new governor this year, and they're having primaries in advance of that uh, toward the end of May here, and several uh, candidates running on both sides. And here in Cincinnati, of course, we are getting to see some of the commercials because the uh, southern side of Cincinnati, as they say, is actually an area called northern Kentucky. consists of three counties that basically make up the southern suburbs of Cincinnati. Now, uh, you know, we tease our friends across the river, but it's it's a very, you know, a midwestern a suburban uh, area. It's much more Cincinnati than it is uh, the rest of Kentucky. Although the rest of Kentucky, I would know it has two major metropolitan areas, Louisville for one, and a slightly smaller one, Lexington, where there's a huge university. And so, um, you know, it's not the uh, completely the, the backwoods, you know, stereotypical thing you think of with Kentucky. But anyway, one of the fellows running is a gentleman uh, named Matt Bevan. And uh, Mr. Bevan wants you to know something about him. Well, actually a few things, but one thing in particular. He's a Christian. He's a conservative. He's a good businessman. He's caring. Fun. He loves Kentucky. He's a conservative. Did someone already say that? Yes, love, somebody did, and they're going to say it a lot more. Uh, actually, those are his kids saying that. He has quite a few of them, and they actually represent uh, a variety of races, so apparently he has adopted some of them. So actually, he's not like a nutty conservative, but he wants you to know he's a maybe, And maybe that's why I'm starting to think now as I'm even saying this. Maybe that's the idea. He wants people to say, well, gee whiz, he, he got himself some black babies there. I don't know how conservative that boy could be. Okay, now I'm doing the stereotypical Kentucky thing, but I think that's what his campaign must be thinking. He doesn't realize that there's actually, you know, some, uh, you know, there are some smart people in Kentucky. But anyway, uh, Mr. Bevan, again, wants to hammer this point home. I live as a conservative, and I'll govern as a conservative. Matt Bevan for governor. The details of which are not important. But um, actually, I did see a commercial this morning, a brand new one, where he actually does list some of the things he's going to do, but it's the same silly talking points that, you know, uh, someone who is a conservative would say, I'm going to lower taxes, I'm going to lower regulation, blah, 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 blah. There is one thing he does say, though, that I think is a little interesting. He says that he will uh, fight tolls. And what this refers to is uh, actually here in the Cincinnati area of, and northern Kentucky, we have I-75 that goes through the area. It is one of the most heavily, if not the most heavily traveled interstates in the country. We have a very old bridge built in 1963 that is not designed to carry the amount of cars and trucks it's carrying right now, and they want to replace it. And a really big idea on both sides of the river is that we'll just replace it and charge people tolls, which is a horrible idea. And if I recall correctly from what happens in other states and what's happened in Ohio, before. This is more of a conservative idea than it is a progressive idea. Conservatives like the idea of tolls because I guess the people that are using it will pay for it then. Oh my god, horrible, horrible idea. You think traffic's bad now? No. So this dude's going to fight that, so unless he's not, I guess he's not in lockstep uh, with the the rest of the the conservatives in Kentucky. But, But don't forget, I live as a conservative and I'll govern as a conservative. So that was the first spot he ran, and then he ran a second spot because maybe he was thinking the uh, the idea didn't maybe settle in with you. So it starts off with this. I'm Matt Bevan. I'm a conservative. Well, yes, Mr. Bevan, but what kind of conservative? A real deal conservative. Well, yes, but there's a primary coming up. And, uh, what was that? Not just during elections, 
but all the time. It's how I was raised. And so what does that mean for the people of the Commonwealth of Kentucky, sir? That's why I wrote a conservative plan to create jobs. A plan to cut taxes, repeal Common Core, dismantle Connect, and protect us from Obama's war on Kentucky. So really came up with a list of talking points uh, for Kentucky. Okay, so the, uh, the, the, the battling Common Core thing, okay, I, you got some, some traction there because from what I can tell, people liberal or conservative that are education professionals that I know, and I know quite a few actually, nobody's really happy about Common Core. So, all right, that's, that's one, that's a wash, that's a tie, push, keep your money as they say in Vegas. Uh, the, the, the war on coal, good, good talking point right there. And my, my, I love that last part. What was that last part again, sir? And protect us from Obama's war on Kentucky. Okay, I can assure you from being over there uh, several times a week, there's no war on Kentucky. Uh, I guess he is upset about this thing he said uh, back toward the beginning of that. Dismantle Connect. Uh, Connect is basically the Medicaid expansion that happened in Kentucky as a result of Obamacare. Kentucky decided to take the money from the federal government to help expand their, that program. And as a result, according to the uh, Lexington Herald Examiner, the big uh, newspaper down there, more than 500,000 Kentuckians have gained health care coverage via Connect through their Medicare expansion or the commercial insurance market. Hmm, boy, what a horrible thing. That's just terrible. And by the way, Kentucky only has 4 million people. So that's a pretty good chunk of people, by the way. All right, so, uh, but we need to get rid of that. And be- because, you know, be- because why is that again, Mr. Bevan? I'm a conservative. Ah, uh, yes, of course. Well, very good then. Well, I, uh, I'm i going to cut the uh, dumb bit short here then. I need to go over to Kentucky, do a little bit of shopping over there. And uh, I want to go while it's still daylight because, you know, it might be a little dangerous over there because uh, why why is that again, Mr. Bevan? What do I need to protect myself from while I'm over there? from Obama's war on Kentucky. All right, thanks, man. John Lovitz is a comedic actor turned stand-up comedian who's best known for his work on Saturday Night Live, for his many, many guest-starring roles on many, many hit TV shows, as well as his starring roles in several hit comedy movies. Here now is our conversation with John Lovitz. Gosh, you've been very busy lately. It was kind of hard putting this together. Um, what is new with you apart from, you know, uh, coming to Minneapolis to do some stand-up? Gosh, I've just been working a lot doing that. Sorry. Uh, I was just in New Mexico doing Adam Sandler's movie, Ridiculous Six. Okay. And it's a, you know, a, a Western comedy spoof of uh, The Magnificent Seven kind of but Okay. Anyway, and it's, it's really funny, and the, the cast is uh, fantastic. Nick Nolte and Adam Sandler, of course, and the, uh, Luke Wilson and uh, Harvey Keitel and Rob Schneider. Oh, okay. I've spoken to Rob before. A lot um, of cameos. I did a thing with David Spade, Vanilla Ice, and Blake Shelton. It's really funny. Oh, cool. And uh, yeah, Whitney Cummings plays the comedian, plays my wife. Wow. And, um, it's, yeah, it's, I think it's going to be terrific. I, I saw some of it and it looks great. This is, it's like those, uh, films back in the 70s where, uh, people would kind of turn up, like, uh, Mad Mad World and, uh, like, The Big Bus and things like that, where all these people would have, uh, cameos and be popping up all over the place. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. A lot of fun. And then Adam, you know, he hires me a lot and he hires, he likes, he hires a lot of the same people and it's fun and it's, uh, you know, it feels like family. It's really great. Now, uh, I know you... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, anyway, so I was just doing that, and I 
and TV or Wi-Fi and it's been a good year. New Girl and the Saturday Night Live reunion was great. Uh, um, so it's it's been a good year. Yeah, sounds like now you you're just a guy that likes to work because I mean like you're turning up on all these TV shows and in and in movies. Um, so it's it's still fun. I take it. Yeah, it's really fun. You know, and uh, the more the merrier. Yeah, <laughs> I would imagine so. Um, now, you started off, of course, as a theater major. Going back to even before that, like in high school and stuff, was was it always show business was the thing, or was it just some kind of a hobby that you found you were good at and decided to pursue then? How did that come about? Well, I, you know, I wanted to be a baseball player from when I was 7 to 15, so I was obsessed with baseball. But I always thought I didn't want to be a baseball player or a movie star, you know. And I remember, you know, it's like a fantasy of a kid. And then I, I saw take the... Uh, Woody Allen would take the money and run when I was 13. That's why I decided to be a comedian. Ah. And I did play high school, about five plays in high school, and then I decided to keep going with it in college and be a drama major, and I went to UC Irvine and had great teachers and did about 21 plays there. Oh, wow. And then I took a class for the camera for a year and a half at Sky 20 Bar. That was great. And then I and then had a guy, Ralph Levy, come for the summer to teach his comedy. And Ralph Levy used to produce and direct the Jack Benny show and the George Burns show and the, so he taught he was a great teacher of comedy and then I went to New York for a year and didn't really get anywhere so I came back and, and started at the Groundlings Theater and uh, to take in their school and you know my whole goal was to get to go through the school get in the company and get on stage and get seen and it worked but I never thought I'd be on Saturday Night Live ever so what year would you have been in the Groundlings? That was, uh, Saturday Night Live was already on the air, I take it. Yeah, I started class, yeah, Saturday Night Live started in 1975, and I started class in the Groundlings in 1982. Okay. Oh, okay. So um, so you you kind of had a, a goal of doing that, or just kind of like that would be you know, the best possible scenario, and you just... It never crossed my mind, honestly. Oh. I never I never went to the growling thinking, this will help get me on Saturday Night Live. I never... You know, I knew Lorraine Newman had been in the growlings and they cast her from there, but... You know, it, it, it should have been on air 10 years. It just, it just never crossed my mind. Wow. And then, um... I got in the Groundlings in, in September of 84, and then January of 85, we, we had a new show, and I was, like, uh, doing sketches in it, and Jim McCauley, who booked all the uh, comedians on The Tonight Show, booked the Groundlings, and he picked me to do two sketches. And, and uh, you can see it on YouTube on, on The Tonight Show, I'm doing my liar character. And then, and then uh, at the same time, Lauren Michaels was coming back to Saturday Night Live, and all the papers looking for a new cat. And... So they were they were looking at people in Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, Canada, and and the Fred Weissman was a dentist, and he had the job of in Los Angeles of, for NBC of casting SNL. And he he told me this. He goes, "John, I'm a dentist. I don't know anybody." So I asked Jim McCauley, who knows all the comics, you know, who's good, and he he rec- Jim recommended me. So that's wow. what that started. And then I after this night show, I got an agent, my guys at that, and and he said. Hey, I'm going to recommend you for Saturday Night Live, and I just, I just, I remember I said to him, I go, well, that's ridiculous. Huh. No, I'm serious. And I said, you know what? I have a better idea. Why don't I land on Pluto? <laughs> and that's what it was like to me. He goes, 
it was just another world. Yeah. And he kept saying, well, I'm going to submit you. To the point where I said, I actually said to him, would you just shut up about it? I got mad. I go, I go <laughs> it's ridiculous. So you know? what was the audition like? Cause I know I heard Will Ferrell on uh, Terry Gross's show said that you, the auditions used to be you would come in and you had to do uh, a character and and something else, and everybody kind of pretty had the same thing. Did you was your audition like that? Well, he auditioned much later than me. I mean, I, I when I got the agent, I got auditions, and I got a movie with Charles Grodin, and I was supposed to meet Lauren. So he, Charles Grodin, recommended me to Lauren Michaels, and Lorraine Newman befriended me. She recommended me to Lauren. So I was going to give those two really credit for helping me get the show. Wow! But uh, the, the first time was. I met um, Al Franken and Tom Davis in the office at NBC, and then I did. I was saying, "Well, I do this and this," and I could just tell they were looking at me. They didn't know who I was. I go, "Well, let me just show you." So I did like these characters, and they laughed. Okay. And then they came to see me, see me in the Growling Theater at an industry night, and nobody was laughing. I was in Master Saskatoon, and nobody was laughing except for Al, and I could hear him laughing. And I remember thinking, "Thank God that guy from Saturday Night Live is laughing." And then uh, they brought us to New York. No, then I met Lauren at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And and in the conversation, how old are you? I said 28. He goes, oh, that's a good age. Billy Murray was 28. So I thought, Jesus, you tell me I have it. I don't know. But then we flew. I I found out I was going to New York. And I flew on a plane to Los Angeles with the... I didn't know these guys, but it was Dennis Miller and, and Damon Wayans were the guys. Oh, wow. And Jennifer, Jennifer Tilly and Pam Madison and Julie Brown, who did that song, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's got a gun. Right, right. They were the three girls. We were chosen from Los Angeles from the auditions. And then we, we had to, first we had to go to this men's scout rehearsal hall. And we were told there was like, Ten guys and there's five slots, and it ended up being there was nine guys and there was only one slot open for the cast. And they already cast four guys. They already cast Randy Quaid, Robert Downey Jr., Anthony Michael Hall, and uh, Terry Sweeney. And uh, anyway, so we go in this room and this huge rehearsal. About thirty-five people are there, and I went in and they, and, they, and they told us they won't laugh much. And so I did my four four of my characters. And then Lauren said, do you have anything else? So I I just tried to do stand-up, so I started doing it, and it, was, and it went really well, bad. And I, I left the room sweating, and so I just blew the biggest you know, job of my life. And then the next day, we went on, uh, they put us on camera. And I'd done this, I'd met Randy Quaid once before. So I did this speech, I go, hey, Randy, what do you think of this? I did this little speech. Yeah, that's funny. So when we in the hallway, I said, we go in the room, and Lauren goes, do you want to do your liar character? And I said, well, I, I did it yesterday. I mean, I think you really want me to do it again? I think he did. He goes, yeah, you're right. I go, well, I don't let me think. And then Randy said, do that thing you did to me in the hallway. So I did it. And I used to do it with Tim Stack and the Growlings, and, and, and Tim would be on my left. And when I did it, he was like 6'4". And in the middle of it, I realized, I looked at Randy and I kind of did a double take and I thought, oh, he's like on my left and he's tall just like him. But I, I, I looked at him twice and, and it made Al Franken laugh so hard. Huh. Just that look. And it was just an accident. I wasn't even trying to be funny. And then Al later told me, he goes, yeah, you, you were everything we wanted. We, he said, you were everything we didn't want in one person, but you were funny. Huh. 
Well, there you go. So you didn't. Yeah, uh, and then I go. So, so you didn't have a notion to try stand up though until much, much later because you'd come out of acting and and doing improv. What, what? Well, no, I was gonna do. I, I would do Woody Allen and Lenny Bruce Kings in my college dorm. Okay. And I saw them do Lenny when I was sixteen, and I got his record, and I saw Woody Allen better stand up. So I do that, and then right after college, I thought I'm going to start being a stand up. I said that's a good way into show business, and then. There was this guy teaching a free workshop because they weren't hiring standards for sitcoms, and I believed him. I, I thought he was long, but <laughs> so I thought, "Well, I'll skip that step." And then, and then after my Saturday Night Live audition, I came back to the Growlings, and I said, "I thought, well, I'm not going to get the show. What am I going to do?" I go, "I'll start writing new characters and working on standards." So I, I started a little bit, and then I got the show. Uh, and then okay. I, you know, I, I became friends with Dennis Miller, and then Dennis said, "Hey, you know, I think you could be a stand-up." But he would take me to the clubs, but I didn't know what I was doing, you know. So people would applaud. They knew who I was. And then five minutes later, it was like the sound of one hand clapping, and huh. so I never did it. But then years later, I was forty-six, and the movie roles were drying up. And I said to my agent manager, "I said, hey, listen, can you get me work? Because I go, I'm not broke. I, I'm going to run out of money in five years. I, you know, because I haven't gotten any work in a while." And they both said, why don't you sell your house? Huh. And I went, what? That's your answer? And, I, and one had just bought a mansion above me. One was building one. I said, that your answer is to sell my house. So I thought, I have a better idea. I'm going to learn how to be a stand-up. And it's fire both of you because I just knew they were just done with me anyway. Yeah. So I, that's what I did. And I've been, I've, I've, uh, you know, I've been doing it about almost 12 years now. And, and um, I just love it, you know. So what it um, what what will people expect? Is it, um, it observational? Do we get to see some of our, our old favorite characters, or what's the what's the show like? No, I don't do my characters because uh, I, I tried doing that at the, at the beginning, and it just didn't work. So it, it, I think it was it's a good thing though because I would just be repeating the same thing. But anyway, I, it's really more about. Uh, it's just the way I'm funny and my personality and, and mm. the way I have talk show, talk shows have you ever seen me on yeah. phone in the last time I did it it's more like that and uh, it's just my opinion on on everything and, and I you know I make fun of myself and you know, relationships and men and women and I, I tell funny jokes and I, I play the piano I sing songs oh that's right you're a singer I forgot uh, yeah yeah it's kind of like a variety of stuff and uh Whatever I, it's funny to me. Yeah. So it's really, I just look at it as it's my, it's my sense of humor. Well, and I, yeah, I think people. But, but, can, but as me, as me, as opposed to doing a character, it's, just, it's really me. Uh huh. Well, to borrow Jimmy Pardo's phrase, I mean, you have funny in your bones. So, and I think people can tell that just from you know seeing you uh, on TV and doing you know other roles, even that you know that it, that it's there. So that's uh, that's got to be very entertaining for folks. Um, another question I had for you, a little known fact, I didn't know this, I didn't, until I heard Lisa Kudrow interviewed, I, I think it was on Terry Gross's show as well, Fresh Air, that, uh, uh, her brother and you were good friends growing up, is that accurate, or did I misremember something? Yeah, her brother David, we met in, uh, fifth grade, and then we became friends in, I met him fifth, but we became friends in sixth grade, and then we were—he's like my brother. You know, we, I grew up with their family, and uh, I met Lisa when I was eleven years old, and she was five. You know, and and uh, 
So her parents are like my parents. I mean, I grew up with their family. Oh, wow. And then what, ha- what happened was um, I was in college. I was like 20 years old, and she was 14. And and went, and she started asking me about acting. So I, I started telling her about it. And, and uh, you know, she was just my friend David's little sister. And then, but I never really talked to her at any great length. But also she was talking about acting they were saying to David, I said, have you ever talked to your sister Lisa about it? I, I said, she's really um, interesting to talk to and really smart. So anyway, we were talking, and I got her a book about auditioning, and and then, um, anyway, she went to college and was a bio major at Bachelor's. She's very bright, you know. Yes. Because she was going to go, go in the medical field. But, and then one time she came to New York, I was on Saturday Night Live, and she did some characters. She was, I had some characters to show me, she was funny. And then she called me, uh, when I was on the show one day and said, hey, I want to, uh, I think she was 23, and she said, I want to be an actress, what should I do? I said, oh, I go, well, go to the Groundlings Theater, that's where I would go. And I go, I learned, I don't remember saying that, but she said, I said, I learned more there than anywhere, but I, I really thought it was great. I go, I said, so, so I said, go there, and then, you know, if you ever have any questions or anything, call me, whatever. So, so she went there, and then, and she made me call me three times for advice, but she was in different situations and say, what should I do? And I'd give her advice. She goes, okay. She goes, well, I thought maybe I should do this. And what she thought she should do, I always said, you know what, that's much better do that. <laughs> You're right. And, uh, but she really did it on her own. You know, it took her, she worked very hard for 10 years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that's just a, a neat little... Uh, but I inspired her. I mean, I, I did inspire her to do it. Because she said, she said she thought about it, but she said she didn't think it was real. But when I got started at live, she said, well, it's possible. She said, somebody I actually know did it. Yeah. So in her mind, it is possible. Yeah. So I'm curious, what did Dave end up doing? Your buddy Dave. Oh, David is a very um, excellent neurologist. Oh, Wow. What, what a bright family. And, uh, yeah, and he, um, his father, Lee, Dr. Kudrow, I call him, was also a doctor and ended up specializing in headaches in the headache clinic. So if you're listening to this and you have severe migraines or anything, David's your guy. Okay. But he's a very, very well, well-respected neurologist in Los Angeles. He's like one of the top top one here in the city. Wow, that's cool. Now, of course, uh, speaking of Lisa again, uh, you had, of course, uh, in the first season of Friends, a very famous and beloved uh, guest shot as a restaurant owner. And how did that come about? Did she suggest you for that, or did they just cast you uh, not knowing? Because, I mean, it was you were absolutely brilliant. Uh, how did that come about? No, well, it was because of her and Courtney Cox. Because, I did a movie with Courtney in 1988 called Mr. Destiny, and, I, and I, we became really good friends. Oh, okay. And then I think, and then and then the show Friends started, I think, in 1994. And Lisa and Courtney called me up and said, "Hey, we just got on this new sitcom, and um, would you? There's a part. Would you come on and do a guest spot?" So the show had, wasn't a big hit. You know, I hadn't even heard of it. It just started. Yeah. And uh, so I thought about it. I said, you know, I thought it would be fun to do. And I thought, I watched it once, and I called David up. I go, hey, have you seen your sister's new show? He goes, no. I go, I think, (laughs) I go, I think it's pretty funny. It's cute. I think it's pretty good. And then I thought, you know, it would be fun to do. And then I thought it would be fun for 
Lisa's parents to see the two of us together, you know, on TV. So um, anyway, I did it. And they, everybody there was very excited that I was there. And I was like the first, uh, I guess, famous guest star they ever had on the show. I, I think it was like the eighth show they'd ever done. Yeah, it's early on. And uh, and they were all excited. They're all excited and everything. And then, um, and they were all unknown, you know. Yeah. Except for Courtney. Except for Courtney. And then, uh, but, but what happened was by the time the show aired, uh, it, it, it become a huge hit. So I always said, like, well, I, I did them a favor, which is how they treated <laughs> it. You know, like I did them yeah. a favor. I go, but by the time the show came out, they, they were doing me a favor, you know. Yeah. It's funny. And then I did it about nine, nine years later, but I did that yeah. show and I did Seinfeld the same week. Oh wow, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's funny with Friends. It seems like you were almost a catalyst because you know the first season of any show, it's got to find its legs. And about halfway through that season is where I think Friends finds its legs. And coincidentally, it's the episode that you're on. So I don't know, just you being there kind of helped push everybody forward just a little bit. But that that guest shot is uh is very hilarious. It's one of our favorite episodes of this day. We always quote it. Tartlets, tartlets. Okay. <laughs> I had any influence on the show whatsoever, well, but I did have the fun. I thought they wrote me a very funny part. Yes. And I had a lot of fun playing it. Everything came together for that one. Yeah. Well, great. Um, You'll be up there in Minneapolis soon, of course. Hopefully we'll see you here in Cincinnati, where I am sometime soon. Sounds like it's a, it's a fun show. It is. It's very fun. I mean, you know, if I do say so myself, it's very funny. It's very silly. It's like smart and silly and a little... Edgy, but it's funny. Yeah, I, well, I think people can can, <laughs> can see that from your uh, just from just from knowing you over the years in your career uh, that it should be uh, a good time. Yeah, I, I have a lot of fun doing it. So I I think the, you know I I, I appreciate I don't take it for granted that people are coming and buying tickets to see me. So I really go all out and and and, and have a lot of fun. And I know by the end of the show, um, you know I really enjoy making people laugh so that's the thing that comes across and then i think by the end of the show people they just i can just tell they just feel good you know yeah yeah well terrific um if yeah you're having a bad day or you like to laugh i like, come to the show and I'll, I'll make you feel better oh yeah i can i can believe that yeah it sounds like a great prescription for uh for what for what ails you if you're if you're feeling down well again i appreciate you doing this this is this is a great talk it really this is a lot of fun Thank you. I okay. appreciate it. Well, thanks a lot, Sean. Talk to you later. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again to John Lovitz for being on the show. You can catch John Lovitz in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, June 26th through the 28th. He's at the Improv at the Hard Rock down there in South Florida. And you can catch him July 18th with other SNL vets, Rob Schneider and Tim Meadows at Deepwater Amphitheater in Manassas, Washington. And so keep your eyes peeled, though. He's uh, always adding dates to his itinerary. He does not actually have an official website, so you have to go to one of those tour websites and just type in John Lovitz's name, and all the information will pop right up for you. All right, so the, uh, of course, the usual uh, credits, of course. Uh, original music composed and performed by John Varopoulos and Doug O'Connor with a little help from me. PF Tape Recorder logo designed by Dan Coble with no help from me. Oh, actually, I did tell him what I wanted. I wanted a tape recorder in, the, in that Battlestar Galactica font, but then he put it all together. So 
Uh, let me see. Um, and we're working on getting t-shirts, uh, by the way. I don't know if anybody will be interested, but if so, it, it'll probably be pretty easy to put together. We'll throw them up on the Home Shirts Cleveland website, and if you want one, feel free to go ahead and get one. That would be awesome. Uh, and, uh, and going uh, toward that direction, of course, uh, go to homeshirts.com uh, for all of your vintage t-shirt needs. As always, if you buy a t-shirt from Cleveland, pretty much, or any of the defunct teams uh, websites, uh, baseball, basketball, football, uh, we get a little a little piece of the action there. So it helps out the show. So go do that. And if you use the code PFTR, you will save 10%. How about that? All right. Well, I believe that is all the business we have on hand for this week. Uh, 200th episode coming up next week. Not sure if we'll do anything uh, special for it, except say that's the 200th episode next week. And then in a couple of weeks, we have uh, Pat Francis on your favorite band, Cheap Trick. He'll be on uh, for that, a little special summertime episode. And now, of course, we've arrived at the hottest record in the world. This is from a Swedish DJ. Aren't they all Swedish? What is it with Sweden? I guess it's so cold there and dark so long of the year. They just stay inside and play music, and then they all become DJs. Anyway, uh, this is Aaron Chu, but this uh, this actually came out um, a while back, a couple months ago. It is now uh, charting in the UK. It's another one of those kind of annoying EDM songs that's going to get stuck in your head. Oh, I'm sorry, but this is Aaron Chupa, Albatross, the hottest record in the world on PS Tape Recorder. So long, and thanks for listening. 